Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. So this time uh, we're doing something a little different. Um, we recorded this podcast that you're about to hear. Uh, it was actually our, our pilot episode uh, with Gretchen Rubin, who's the author of uh, a bunch of best-selling books, including The Happiness Project and, and also Better Than Before. We, we recorded this as a bit of an experiment before the podcast was really officially up and running because we wanted to see if, if there was any there there. So what you're about to hear is that we kind of messed up. The audio quality is actually suboptimal, um, but it's good enough to, for you to, to – to, it's not going to be annoying to listen to, but it's just not as good as we wanted it to be. So we initially posted it and then pulled it down because the audio quality wasn't awesome. But But Gretchen is really smart and just – brimming with practical solutions to make your life uh, better. So we wanted to post it again uh, because I think I think you're going to enjoy it. The one thing, uh, the one sort of exception to the rule of this podcast is that she doesn't really meditate. Uh, and we, you'll you'll hear me nag her a little bit about that. Uh, but she's amazing and a good friend and a, been a, a, an unstinting supporter of all, lots of the le- weird little projects on which I've embarked in, in recent years. So uh, enjoy Gretchen. From ABC, this is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. This is the inaugural experimental version of the 10% Happier Podcast slash vodcast slash live streaming show, um, which is a long way of saying we have no idea what we're doing. Uh, really happy that my first guest is Gretchen Rubin. Thank you very much for doing this. Appreciate I'm, it. I'm very happy to be here. You've been like irrationally supportive of me <laughs> like this whole process before I wrote the book after I wrote the book and and since then so thank well you, you. know I'm a huge it. fan of, of 10% happier I think it's a fantastic book and I've heard from so many people who don't realize that I know you how much they like it they're like you know there's this book you really ought to read 10% I'm like yeah I know about that book <laughs> that's amazing thank yeah. you I appreciate yeah. that so let me just tell everybody who, who you are uh, Gretchen has written a number of fantastic books the two that I think people most are, are most familiar with is one is The Happiness Project, which came out in 2010, I believe. Yeah. And that is about how you kind of uh, took all the science around happiness and road tested it in your own life. Exactly. And then the more recent book, which came out, I believe, in 2015. Yes. Which is called Better Than Before, and it's yeah. about habits uh, and how to break bad ones and establish new ones. Right. So I have a million questions for you. Um, let me just start with a elegant term you use at the beginning of the book, which is you say that habits are the uh, invisible architecture of our daily lives. What do you mean by that? Well, it's interesting. Research shows that about 40% of what we do every day is shaped by our habits. And so they're all around us. They're shaping everything that we do. And so if we have habits that work for us, we're much more likely to be happier, healthier, more productive. If those habits aren't working for us, then it's just going to be a much bigger challenge. I, I come from the whole mindfulness meditation yeah. world. I can't believe that says in my lips. Um, <laughs> anyway, I do come from the, yeah. the meditation yeah. world. And uh, in that world, the word habitual yes. is a dirty word. Yes. So what... what but you don't think habits are bad, so yes. how do you square that? No, it's interesting because I've heard that from a lot of people because, the, because habits are mindless. That is, their, that is why they are freeing. That is why they are energizing. But I think that they, these two ideas, mindfulness and mindlessness, actually go together because what you want to do is mindfully shape your habits. You know, you don't want, because when they creep in accidentally, that's when you can get into trouble. But when you mindfully shape a habit, then it can be this great engine for change. Um, 
but the, the thing about habits is that they're freeing and energizing because we don't have to make decisions, we don't have to use our self-control. So you, you can mindfully be brushing your teeth, but you're not deciding, should I brush my teeth? Oh, I brushed my teeth yesterday. Maybe I should get, let myself off the hook today. Oh, I'm gonna brush my teeth tomorrow. And starting, you know, starting this month, I'm gonna be so good about brushing my teeth, so I don't have to start until Monday. I mean, you don't get into that. You, know, you just do it. And so I think that there really is a place for habits. And, uh, and even like with your, with your meditating, I mean, you didn't decide every single day I'm gonna do it. You were like, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna commit to this. Yes. It's part of my life now. If every single day you were like, should I do it now? Should I do it later? You, you know, if you can exhaust yourself and never get around to actually doing the thing that you are thinking that you want to do. You say in the book, is another phrase I really like, that you are mindfully harnessing the power of mindlessness. Yes, exactly. So you're choosing very deliberately yes. what you want to do, and then you kind of automate the process exactly. so you're not, you're not eating up all of your en mental energy. Exactly. It's like putting that on automatic pilot. So you're not... You're not using a lot of energy to make it happen. I want to talk about establishing good habits and baking, uh, breaking bad habits, but you sort of do a taxonomy in the book that I think is important to get uh. into first. You talk about the four tendencies, I yes. believe is the term. So there are not, we, we don't all establish or break habits in the same way. Yes. So can you talk, these categories are great because you will, anybody who hears them will automatically put themselves in one of the buckets. Yeah, yeah. So t walk me through the four buckets. So um, it's, it has to do with how a person meets and responds to the idea of an expectation. So we all have outer expectations like a work deadline or an inner expectation like I want to start meditating every day. So an upholder is someone who readily meets outer and inner. It's upholder, questioner, obliger, and rebel are the four, ten, for the four tendencies. So upholders readily meet outer and inner alike. Which is what you are. That's what I am. So we, we readily meet a work deadline. We readily keep a New Year's resolution without much fuss. So were you a goody two-shoes when you were a kid? 100%. 100%. <laughs> so, okay, the, like, the archetypal upholder, Hermione Granger. Okay. Right, okay. Yes. So then, so you, you and I would not have gotten okay. <laughs> no, all. but no, we all get together. You know, we all mix. Um, there aren't that many upholders, so <laughs> oh, I have many friends who okay. are not upholders. Okay. Next are questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they're convinced it makes sense. So they hate anything inefficient or arbitrary or irrational. Their first question is, why would I listen to you anyway? Um, so they can do anything if they buy into it. They make everything into an inner expectation. They won't do it just because you tell them to, but if they buy into it, they will do it. Effortlessly. But there are two types of questioners I learned yeah. from your book. Yeah. So some questioners are pretty, it's pretty easy to convince them to uphold. Like my husband's like that. Like he readily accepts sort of societal rules. Um, and some, some questioners are question, question expectations so much they almost look like rebels. For instance, many questioners question traffic regulations. They say things like, well, I think it's arbitrary that we're all supposed to drive 65 miles an hour. I'm a really good driver, so I think I should be able to drive whatever I think is safe. And I'm like, well, good luck with that, because that's not how, that's not how traffic regulations work. But for a questioner, they're like, it just seems arbitrary. It drives them crazy. Mm. So I guess I would be a questioner with a upholder leaning, which you describe as like being like a Leo with a Virgo rising. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And then there's, so you, you mentioned rebels. I think yeah. it's pretty obvious what that is. So rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They won't, if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist, and they don't even want to tell themselves what to do. So like for them, Unlike other people, they wouldn't want to say like, oh, every day at 7 a.m. I'm going to meditate. Maybe. They might want to choose every single time. But, so what do I do to make sure that my child is not a rebel? Well, rebels is great. There's a lot of strengths to being a really? rebel. It's hard, it, but it is hard to be the parent of a rebel child. I've heard from many people 
asking for advice about how to be the parent. Of, because the fact is, you can't tell them what to do. They have to do what they choose to do. So you have to give That's, them like a menu of options or something? Menu of options helps. And then you just remind them, well, this is what you want. Like a friend of mine had a child who didn't want to practice violin. And finally she was like, and she kept nagging him and reminding him and doing star charts and all that stuff. And it wasn't working. And I was like, he's a rebel. Tell him he can do it if he wants to. But if not, you're not going to pay for lessons. Because you're not going to pay for it if he's not going to do it. If he's not going to practice. And so she, she said to him, you say you want to practice violin. You're not going to get good at violin if you don't practice. You know that's true. So up to you. You tell me, what do you want to do? And he was like, okay. And then he practices. Because he wants to play the violin. But when she was telling him to do it, mm -hmm. he had to resist mm -hmm. to show, well, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> and then the fourth category is obligers. And that's the biggest tendency. That's the one that most people fit really? into. Yes. I, I would have thought it was questioners. Questioners second largest. Lo overwhelmingly, people are questioners or obligers. Um, upholder and rebel are like... The, the, the extreme tendencies, they're uh -huh. small. Overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, people are questioners or obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. So like a friend of mine told me, well, the weird thing about me is I really want to exercise. And when I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? Well, when she had a team and a coach waiting for her, she had no trouble going. But it was only her own inner expectation. Then she struggled. And so, and a lot of people are like that. Like they'll go through, they'll meet all the expectations that others have for them, but then they, they're frustrated because they can't meet their expectations for themselves. So, so I, I would imagine the, the most important thing when you're trying to figure out how to make or break a habit is to figure out which bucket you're in yeah. first. Yeah, that's really helpful because then, because it will help you figure out how to push the buttons on yourself. Or, you know, it's even more fun is to try to change someone else's habit. <laughs> And it can really help you if you're trying to understand that. Like doctors often, I've been hearing from a lot of doctors saying, now that I understand the four tendencies, I, I can kind of tailor my advice uh. because telling somebody like someone's a type 2 diabetic and you're trying to get them to do certain things, you might behave very differently when you're talking to a questioner than when you're talking to a rebel. But, but I was, uh, this was not on my little list of questions okay. that I Let's go off-road. We're going off-road here. <laughs> but, but I would imagine trying to change other people's habits, like especially with a spouse, yeah. is dangerous territory. Okay. No, it is. It is. It is. I know and you no, try to do no, it. No, 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 no. And, and, in my ha <laughs> and, and from the Happiness Project, the, one of the deep principles that I came to believe in is the only person that we can change is ourselves. Um, but it is also true that when we change, others can change. And when we change, a relationship changes. And so if I am speaking in a way that I think is going to resonate more deeply with you, then I can help you. So it's not about like me actually forcing you to make a change. It's me understanding how to set up a situation in order to make it possible for you to make that change yourself. Because sometimes we do things unwittingly um, because we don't understand how other people might be different from us. And so the kind of thing that would work with us isn't going to work with them. And so we're just not helpful. My wife doesn't meditate. Okay. Um, <laughs> there you go. And, and I, I, there's a, there was a cartoon in the New Yorker uh, not long ago. It had two women having lunch. And one of them says to the other, uh, I've been gluten-free for a week and I'm already annoying. <laughs> and, and I just keep that in mind like I can't I know I can't if, if I proselytize to her she yeah. will never do it that's right so that's I don't right. say anything that's and right. I actually think that's you know, right. when I well was, is she a questioner I don't know what she is okay um, because one thing about questioners I've noticed is like uh like a lot of my family's questioners is that if they just see you succeeding with something like I'm into high intensity weight training and my father-in-law like kind of paid no attention, paid no attention, paid no attention. And then one day he's like, I'm going. And now he's been faithfully going ever since. And it was and I was always talking in a very annoying way about how much I love doing it. 
But it was like he had to make up his mind, his mind for himself that this was worth doing. And then once he did, he did it. So it could be that way with your wife. One day she'll just be like, you know what? I've seen enough. I'm convinced. I'll try it. You know? And that's, your example is more persuasive than your Lecturing. nudging. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think she may be an obliger, actually. Mm. When I think about it. Well, she could, yeah. Well, she could be having obliger rebellion. Yeah, I think that's we, what I, I, and this is, well, I'll let okay. you talk about it. But you talk about this in the yeah, book. This yeah. is a specific yeah. thing that happens with obligers. So obligers, they feel this, they, they, they get frustrated by the fact that they're meeting other people's expectations, but they're not meeting their expectations for themselves. And they will get in this, they have this very striking pattern where they will meet, meet, meet an expectation. And then suddenly, kind of without warning, they will snap and be like, this I will not do. And sometimes it's really a small, symbolic, and kind mm-hmm. of funny thing. Like, it's weird how many obligers have emailed me to tell me that they were so annoyed because a coworker told them, was like nudging them for being late to work, that they will deliberately sit in their cars for five or ten minutes to be late, deliberately late. Okay, that's obliger rebellion. But sometimes it can be huge and explosive, like um, uh, quitting a job without any kind of opportunity, like we need to make this right, or blowing up a relationship, like I've had enough of you, I can't take it anymore. And sometimes it will find its place, and it's often things having to do with like health, which I think because it's totally within the control of the obliger. They're like, I'm meeting, meeting, meeting expectations, but this thing I will not do. I will not go to the gym. You cannot make me go to the gym. And it could be that your that your wife, if she's an obliger, has sort of keyed in on this as like, I'm doing so much. This, I will not do. It's possible. It's like my last stand. But I will say I've never pressured her. Right. Which is, I think, the only reason why it's even a live possibility at this point. Because right, if right, I right. ever pressured her, yeah. it would she would be off the table. Right. So I want to ask you about the habit that I want to break, Ooh. Um, which is sugar. Yeah, Ooh. I. And this is a Ooh. true story. I quit sugar. True st- I know you did. This ah. is why I want to hear. But tr- I, in the not too distant past, I ate one night sitting right here watching TV with my wife, which is our Sunday night ritual. I ate so many Oreos. Uh huh. Actually, they were Whole Foods Oreos. Um, okay. That I woke up in the middle of the night and puked. <gasps> true story. Ooh. Yeah. So I'm, I have. Problem. Now, okay, now let me. Were you eating them mindlessly, like just oh, one yeah, after yeah, the yeah, other, yeah, or were you full. like, oh my gosh, these are so good, I can't no, stop? No, no, the former. Okay, so it was just like. That's my that's my jam is okay. mindlessly eating. Okay. I like that. Okay, so do you want to quit sugar altogether? <sighs> I, w- I would. I love sugar. It's like really my only remaining vice since yeah. I quit doing drugs ten years ago. Yeah, and yeah. I don't drink. I, I really don't have any real vices. Yeah. So I love sugar. Yeah. Um, but I feel it. It's there's a real addictive yeah. thought loop going on around yeah. it because I usually yeah. restrict myself to one day a week. But I'm yeah. like looking forward yeah. to it, kind yeah. of planning out exactly yeah. what I'm going to have. Yeah. It feels kind of gross. Right, right. It feels ch- like a chain. Yes. So, do you would you describe yourself as, a, and I think you are, like an all or nothing kind of person? Like it's not that hard to say no, but once you start, you can't stop. That's exactly. I can. I right. have abstained for yes. long periods of time, but when I start, I can't stop. Right. Okay, so one of, one of the things that I talk about in the book is the difference between abstainers and moderators when it comes to facing a strong temptation. And a lot, often it has to do with food. It might be sugar. It might be something like chips. Or it could even be something like World of Warcraft. Or like my sister had to quit doing Candy Crush because it was actually interfering with her career. Um, so how do you face a strong temptation? So, and I'm an abstainer, so we're alike in this way. It's easier to have none. It's easier to give something up altogether than to indulge in moderation. And moderators, on the other hand, they get kind of crazy and they feel sort of panicky if they're told they can never have something. Mm-hmm. And those are the people who keep the, you know, the bar of Toblerone chocolate in their desk drawer. And then like once a day or every other day, they have one square. And I'm like, my whole day would be yeah. this chocolate. Thinking, cho- about, it. thinking yeah. about it. 
So I would argue that even once a week is enough to keep that craving hitting because mm -hmm. you're always, it's always coming up on the horizon and then that always opens up the possibility, well, it's my birthday or I'm on vacation or, you know, and it might be that it would just be, and what I found, because I had a tremendous sweet tooth too, when I just said I don't eat sugar at all, it just, that whole noise in my head that was super boring just went dead. And so I walk into a store and they have a big bowl of free candy. Do I eat it? No, I don't, because I don't eat sugar. Oh, it's my birthday and they're serving me dessert for free because the restaurant gives me free dessert. Do I eat it? No, I don't, because That's I don't eat so sugar. Sad. So what you can do, I don't, think it's, I, I don't think it's helpful to have like once a week because then it's always coming up on the horizon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what you can do is you can say something like, okay, well, our, it's going to be our anniversary. And so I'm really looking forward to it. It's uh, like I'm, I'm expecting that I'm going to eat sugar. I'm going to really, really relish it. This is but, you. No, I, do, I, I have to say, I do not do it. For me, it's easier to have none. So I really am the killjoy who will not have. And you like make me a cake. Like for me personally, I'm like, sorry, I don't eat sugar. I'm rare. I'm rare. Very few people abstain the way that I do. Um, but what most people do is that they'll say, like, oh, this is a special occasion. I'm going to look forward to it. Where people really get in trouble, I think, is, like, the once a week thing or, like, you know, or after the gym, which is the dumbest way to do it, um, or um, on the spot. Like, oh, yeah, I'm not eating sugar, but, oh, here we are, and they, it's the specialty of the house, tiramisu. I have to right, have right, it. Right. And so you're doing it on the fly, and so you feel out of control of yourself. Whereas if you're saying, like, I'm looking forward to it, it's on the calendar, it's going to be great. And then, so one question is, do you look back on it with pleasure? You, do you look back on those Oreos with pleasure? Not the way they came up. <laughs> Going down, yes. Other way, mm -hmm. no. So it's like, if you're like, oh, it was a wonderful addition, like, oh, Christmas dinner, it was so amazing, then that's, like, a pleasure. It's when it feels out of control. No, it's it like starts... go directly into a shame spiral. No, and it's also it's just boring to think about it. Like, yes. Oh, you know, nah, nah. See, moderators, it's like it's for them. They have to know they can have a little, and then they can have. If they have a little, then they're satisfied. But, and also, like, do you really care? Like, a lot of times people are like, oh, but it's so sad. They think about life without sugar. How sad is it? It's pretty sad to me. Really? Yeah. Why? Well, I have a. I don't know. Why is it sad? Why to me? is it? Because I think I associate it with like freedom. Ooh, okay, talk about that. Because I feel like Sunday night is my, I'm people, so disciplined all the time. Yeah, yes. I, I meditate, I exercise, Ooh. I do, I work really okay. hard. Okay, um, okay. So oh, if my boss is watching, I work super hard. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Okay, but so maybe you need another treat. I think you want to give yourself a treat, yes. but this is the only treat that you found. Yes. What is another treat? Could you buy yourself new music? Don't you? Weren't yes. you the one who told me that yes. every yes. week you buy yourself new music? I do buy myself new That's music. That's a great treat. Yes. Okay, so what's something that can be your Sunday night treat? What would be like something? TV. Okay, but you already give yourself that treat. So the thing about the sugar is it goes with the TV. Yes. So what's something if you? What's another treat? Maybe you want a treat that you, that can go on with that. Yes, I gotta think or, about that. What would be? What would be a treat? Because what you're saying is, I need, and I think, and French what, fries. French fries. Okay, but maybe that's okay. Like you can have one order of French fries yes, and feel good about it, yes, and not, it doesn't trigger that whole thing. It triggers a little bit, but it's not like uh, the coconut same. cake. Right. Yes. Well, because in, in Better Than Before, I talk about the strategy of treats. Like, it's important to give ourselves treats because we're like cell phones that need a charge. If you don't give yourself enough treats, that's when you start getting into this, I need it, I want it, I have to have so many Oreos that I'm going to throw up. You know, it's like you need to give yourself healthy treats so you have that feeling of like, when you, when you give more to yourself, you can ask more from yourself. And you're asking a lot from yourself. And you feel like, I need to bring myself back into equilibrium. I need a treat to give myself energy. So you just mindfully 
want to shape that treat. And French fries, maybe that's the thing. Like, what's the restaurant you can order in, the best French fries in New York City, eat them, enjoy them, it'll be a, a delicious treat, and it won't set off that sugar trigger like that, that is so painful. I like that a lot. I'm curious about your own personal habits, because I had lunch with you not too long ago before your book came out, and I, you were really disciplined about what you eat, and you actually mentioned that you have changed the way you eat, and I think in part as a consequence from what you learned in doing the book. Yes, yeah. Um, well, it was be- actually before the book, but I didn't really understand what had happened to me until I wrote the book, because this weird transformation had kind of fallen on me. Um, I was on vacation, and I read Gary Tobbs's book, Why We Get Fat, and it convinced me to go low carb. Um, so you're gluten free, or oh, I'm uh, like I'm way past gluten free. Yeah, like I really eat a very low carb diet. I eat a little more low carb than Gary Tobbs does. Um, but everyone needs a hobby, and this and this for me works. I'm not saying this is the way everybody would want to eat, but I do. I do avoid. So carbs. the rest of your life, you have resigned yourself to not having pasta carbonara. No, 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 or something. But, but I, it's not resign myself. Like I really revel in it, and and I'm fortunate in that. Like I'm the kind of person who likes to eat basically the same food all the time, so that's that's fine for me. Um, I, so I don't have a. I don't. I'm not a foodie who feels like a lot of regret about giving things up because I always like very basic food, um, but. I don't feel resigned. I feel, I feel free. I, feel, I love it. I love eating this way because I, I'm not hungry. I used to be so hungry the way that I ate. Um, food is really rich and satisfying, and um, I just, you know, I feel much healthier. Um, I lost a bunch of weight. That wasn't, I didn't intend to, but that's what happened. You didn't need to. I didn't need to, but I, I was interested in this. It's interesting. I was interested in the book because my sister is a type 1 diabetic, and so if you look at the book, it's all about insulin. And so this when is I, Tab's book. Tab's yeah, book, yeah. Why We Get Fat. So when I was in the bookstore, I was slipping through it, and I, was, I saw that it was all about insulin, and that was what got me intrigued because if you're a diabetic, it's, and especially a type 1 diabetic, it's like insulin is, you know, the thing that saves your life. So I, was, I, I, I wanted to learn more about it. And then, but so, and then better than before, I described what happened, which is the strategy of the lightning bolt, which is when you have a new piece of information or you have some experience and all of a sudden your habits change almost effortlessly because you just have some new belief and so your habits fall in line. And so when, when my thoughts about nutrition changed, you know, because with eating habits, they're like, do these substitutions like part skim, mozzarella, or, you know, or like that it's, it would have to be incremental change. It's such a ubiquitous, you know, part of our lives. Like how could you change it overnight effortlessly? And yet that's what happened to me. It just happened. Yeah, I was just like overnight. Well, it was funny. We were on vacation with my in-laws, and uh, and so we were staying in this, you know, like in a hotel. And so, like the next day, when I went out to the breakfast buffet, it's like I got the opposite of what I'd gotten for like the last hundred years. And I was like, scrambled eggs and bacon. All right, uh, let's see if this is works. This is this is Gary Thomas says this is what I should be eating. Let's see what worked. happens. Yeah, and it's like in data point of one. Like I'll just experiment on myself. <laughs> like let's see what happens. But the, as you say, so hearing about people's personal transformation can often be more powerful yes. than reading studies. But don't you find that to be true with I yourself? Do. Like people are more hearing your experience is more persuasive to them than to read like a million studies of. Well, I don't know. I'm a total narcissist, so I think <laughs> my story is like super interesting. Um, <laughs> Audible lets you enjoy all your audio entertainment in one app. You'll always find the best of what you love or something new to discover. They offer an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, mysteries and thrillers, motivation, wellness, business, and more. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment with highly anticipated new releases and next listen recommendations for every type of thriller listener. The selection 
over on Audible when it comes to true crime, mystery, and thriller is um, quite extensive. They've got John Grisham, tons of stuff by Stephen King, David Baldacci. My favorite that I've checked out recently in the crime fiction genre is called Age of Vice. It's by Deepthi Kapoor. It came out uh, not long ago. Not only is it thrilling and uh, very, very plotty, but it's also written incredibly well. It's truly literature. Deepthi Kapoor is a, a force of nature as a writer. Age of Vice, it takes you into the uh, underworld in New Delhi in India. I absolutely love that one. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500. That's audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Audible.com slash 10%. The Taste the Mediterranean sales event is going on now through March 19th at Whole Foods Market. It's a store-wide event packed with flavor. My family and I are regulars at Whole Foods Market. We've got one, I think, less than a mile and a half away from our house. This Taste the Mediterranean thing sounds pretty cool. Uh, they've got Mediterranean-inspired flavors. You can save on Parmigiano-Reggiano, charcuterie, and ground lamb. They've got delectable seafood choices. You can save on whole branzini and sustainable wild-caught sockeye salmon, which is a regular feature at our dinners in this house. My son loves that salmon from Whole Foods. And I'd be remiss if I didn't point out all of the uh, 365 by Whole Foods Market products. Stock up on wallet-happy Mediterranean essentials like feta cheese crumbles, whole wheat, pita pockets, and more. I am constantly uh, consuming these 365 products, including the, the raw cashews, which I snack on all the time. We love the 365 sea salt and pepper. Uh, we love their sushi rice. You get the picture. Go check it out. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. But here, actually, speaking of meditation, you knew this question was coming. Oh. You have not been able no. to create a meditation habit. No. I, no, I did successfully create the meditation habit. I did not successfully find meditation to be helpful. Okay. I then had to break the meditation habit because it was like the habit was there for me. What was not helpful to you? I the mean, why was it? <laughs> why was it not helpful? Sorry. I mean, I was just that. like just sitting there for five minutes, like you know, trying to clear my thoughts and you know, quiet mind and getting back to the breath. And then mm -hmm. I tried, you know, uh, when you do uh, when you when you have an image in your mind, like that seems to be kind of like baby steps. Like if you if you're like not really managed to clear your mind, okay, well you can focus on an image. Yes. Tried that. Visualization. Visualization. Yes, yes. Tried that. Uh, now, I have to say, at the time that I did it, I wasn't using guided meditation. Because for me, I was like, well, then I'll just be thinking what the people say. So that seemed, and then I tried with your app to do the guided meditation, and that did seem better. So maybe if I try it again, probably at some time I'll try it again. I would do it with a guided meditation because that, maybe I needed that kind of scaffolding. But when I was, but I was only trying to do it for five minutes, and it just started making me nuts. It was not having, like, the promised effects at all. On the cushion or off the cushion? In other words, on the cushion Either. you were feeling nuts? I, I, was, I was just like, oh my gosh, like this is the longest five minutes of my life. Right, right, yeah. right. That is actually, the, that, that to me says you were doing it right. Because if it's easy for you, <laughs> if it's easy for you, you're cheating. It's a little bit like going to the gym. If you go to the gym and it's yeah, like a walk yeah, in the park, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, that's yeah, cheating. Right, right. Uh, because we, when you're meditating, you're fighting. Uh, yes. 
millennia of evolution, yeah, you know, yeah, which yeah. is like con this like blah, 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 gerbil wheel of, of thought. And so you're trying to not stop the thinking because that's actually impossible yeah. unless you're enlightened or dead. Yeah. Uh, what you're trying to do in meditation is to focus yes. for nanoseconds at a time, get lost, yeah. start again, get lost, start again. That is really hard to do. Especially at the beginning. But so I think I faced a problem that a lot of people face when they're changing a habit, which is at what point do you say this isn't working? Like, right. it's, like you, you, for a while you have to say this is hard, it's hard to go to the gym, I don't want to do it, and yet is it at some point going to get easier and I'm going to see the benefits of it? And then at one point do you say, you know what, this just isn't right for me and so it's a misuse of my time and my energy. Like a night person, if you're a night person, the idea that you're going to get up at 6 a.m., like, it's not going to work for you. You know, I hate to be the one to break it to you, but if you're a, if you're a hardcore night person, you're not going to get up at 6 a.m. and do anything consistently. It just goes too hard against your nature. So at what point do I say, this is difficult for me, but that shows that I'm doing it right, and so if I keep on going, then it's going to all click in, and I'm going to experience the benefit. At what point do I just say, like, hey, you know what, guys? I'm, I'm out of here because this isn't working. <laughs> now, I did it for five months. That's a long, that's a good long time. I mean, I felt like that was a good a, long time. I felt like that was a good try. That's a very good try. It is a very good try. See, I will resist the urge to browbeat you. No, no, uh, don't browbeat me. No, you no, no, you're the one that eventually, I wasn't even going to try again. And then I was like, well, if Dan, because I think we're kind of similar in many respects in yes, our personality. I was yes. like, well, if Dan, if, it, if Dan felt like it was really worth it, and, and, and then I'm like, then I can see how it would be for me. And you also said something that I thought was incredibly persuasive, which was you said, um, I know people who haven't stuck to it for whatever reason, but I don't know anyone who thinks it was a waste of time. And I was like... Except for you. Well, I don't think it was a waste of time because it was, it was an interesting experiment, but I have to say that I did, not, I did not feel the benefits. How long did it take you before you started feeling the benefits? I, I started to see it uh, after a couple of weeks, two big okay. benefits. One was that it boosted my ability to focus, which yeah. has never been a strong suit of mine. And the other thing is that it just makes you more mindful, yeah. which basically for the uninitiated means that you're, you're not so yanked around by the voice in your head. Yeah. And, when I, and so that means you're resisting your urges. Like yeah. obviously... I'm not so good at resisting the urge to eat sugar, but you resist urges to like say the thing that's yeah. going to ruin the next 48 yeah. hours of your marriage <laughs> yeah, or... Yeah, yeah. Uh, send the email. Yes, send the email send, that you yeah. will totally regret. Yeah, yeah. And what I knew yeah. was starting to work is when I would he overhear my wife at parties telling people that I was less of a jerk. <gasps> that was a huge data Okay, that, that, and, that, that's persuasive. The, yes. people, the mistake that people make, and I'm not sure you're making this mistake, but this is a mistake that gets made not infrequently, is people judge the the value of the practice based on their experience on the cushion. Oh, I see, right. But because it's frustrating, people extrapolate that yeah. to mean that they're failing. It's not working. Correct. Oh, but, in fact, it's the, it's the judo move of seeing I see. that this voice in your head is in the business of offering up terrible ideas yeah. and then noticing, oh, that's just a thought, and returning to, the, to your, whatever you're meditating on, usually your breath, that process is a bicep curl okay. for your brain, and it changes the way you relate to this thought machine in your head, which sometimes is brilliant and is often negative, repetitive, and self-referential. As you mentioned, we're, I'm trying to build this app, the 10% yeah. Happier app to teach people which how to meditate. It's cool. Yeah. Thank you. I had, the best, I had the best experience using your app than I did you know, doing solo. What, what do you recommend in terms of like getting, I'm thinking a lot now, especially being in the middle of your book, about how to help people establish habits. Yep. Meditation is a hard habit to establish. It is. What would you recommend like for, for us to keep in mind as we yep. build this thing? Well, I think a key thing is if you're an obliger or if you're dealing with someone who's an obliger, which you, I mean, it's just a giant number of people are obligers, so it's a big, it's a big issue. 
for obligers, the key thing for them is outer accountability. If they want to meet an inner expectation, there has to be some form of outer accountability. They just, they just need that. And so it could be whether there's like a, if a person wanted to use it and is like, okay, I'm, I want to try meditating, I'm going to get this out, but how do I get myself to stick to it? So part of it is like, do you want to form a group with other people who are mm. trying to change a habit? And they don't all have to be changing the same habit, it's just the accountability. And there's a starter kit on my site, GretchenRubin.com, for people who want to form accountability groups for people trying to change a habit. Or maybe it's like a Facebook group, or like you and your sister want to do it together, and every morning you're going to be like, did you do it today? Or sometimes apps will, ha like a lot of apps have things where it's like you have to, before you go forward, you have to say, yes, I did it yesterday, or you get right, right, right. But the thing about obligers is, just like the questioners come in different varieties, obligers, some obligers can be, their feeling of obligation is triggered by something like an auto text from an app. And they'll, they'll be like, oh, I got to do it. And then some, it's like only a real consequence from a live person is going to make them feel. And some people are like, if they pay for something, that makes them feel ob obligated. Mm. For some people, if they pay, they almost feel like, man, I paid. It's like as good as going. I don't have, I'm, now I'm off the hook. And so you have to know yourself what kind of thing is going to make you stick to it. Or something that works for a lot of obligers is their duty to other people or their duty as a role model. So you could say, let's say you've got three kids. You could be like, hey, kids, I'm going to do this. And because I want to show, I want to model the behavior of someone keeping their word to themselves. And, and, and I want to model healthy behavior. I have to stick with it because I want my children to see that I can follow through with something. Or you could say like, oh, I'm only going to do it if my husband does it. And so if you don't do it, I won't do it. So we both have to do it because we want to do it for the other person. That's something that works a lot. Um, I've even heard of obligers doing things like, um, so you love to go for bike rides, and I'm your wife, and I'm an obliger. You can only go for a bike ride if I've meditated that day. And so if I don't meditate, then if you're like, oh, honey, uh, I'm disappointed. I can't go for my bike ride. So that might make me uh. meditate. So, you know, so there's all these ways to think about how to trigger that outer accountability for that inner we expectation. We could build emotional blackmail directly into the I mean, yeah. you know, because... For, because and obligers will say to me, like, well, I don't want to have to be accountable to somebody else. I don't want to have outer accountability. But my, I'm like, if that's what you need, that's what you need. Just figure out a way to get it. It's usually not that hard. But here's another thing about obligers. If someone asks you for accountability, you should really help them get it. People don't ask for accountability unless they know they need it. And so sometimes, like, you'll talk to two people, and one will be, like, a, like two coworkers. And one's like, you've got to give me a deadline. The other one's like, no, just get around to it whenever you get around to it. No, this person's asking you, I need accountability. If they ask for accountability, give them accountability because they need it. You've been great with my questions. Now, this is the, as I said, we're totally experimenting with this. Yes. With this, uh, whatever you want to call it, podcast, vodcast. Um, vodcast, I've never heard that word before. Video, I love it. I uh, love it. Cast. Um, so uh, we want to do, we want to institute a, a, a little tradition toward the end of the thing where we do uh, like a speed round that we're yeah. calling pro tips. So I'm going to throw out some areas and okay. then you and I are going to go quickly through. Okay what to do. Okay. All right, so the first is, what do I need to know if I want to establish or end a habit? The first thing you have to do is know yourself because there is no magic one-size-fits-all solution. It's not do it for 30 days or start small or give yourself a cheat day or do it first thing in the morning. You know, you have to begin by saying, well, what's true for me? Am I a morning person? Am I a night person? Am I an abstainer or a moderator? Which tendency am I? Do I like to be in an atmosphere of abundance? Do I need a lot of simplicity? There's a million things that, about, to know about yourself that then you can set up the habit in a way that suits you. Because it, just the fact that it worked for your brother-in-law and Steve Jobs doesn't mean that it's going to work for you. You really have to begin by thinking about yourself. So know thyself is no, rule number yes, one. Yes, 100%. W what are the, uh, what's rule number two? Then once you do it, figure out 
how to set up the habit in a way that works for you. So a lot of times people who are night people say, oh, I'm going to get up early and go running. That's not going to work for you. So instead of like spending all your energy trying to figure out how to get up in the morning, force yourself to get up in the morning, figure out, well, how can I, uh, yeah, I work, I have all these things, how can I work out later in the afternoon? So you have to think about knowing what you know about yourself, how can you create a realistic habit that you can really stick to? What about scheduling? Scheduling works really well for, not for Rebels, but for everybody else, scheduling works really well. That's a great, that's, so I have 21 strategies in Better Than Before. That's one of the first and most powerful. For most people, they're much more likely to stick to something if it's actually on the schedule. And that includes fun. So if, if you have, feel like, oh, I never have time for fun, it's like put that in your calendar just like a trip to the dentist. Like I have, re you know, read. I have two hours where I read every weekend because I'm like, if I don't put it on the calendar, it might not happen. And that's the most important thing to me. What about monitoring? That's really important too. Yeah, like we manage what we measure. So if there's something that's important to you, you want to track it, whether that's like tracking your budget, tracking how many steps you take with a, you know, a device tracker. Um, or, you know, sometimes people are like, well, you can't measure the most important things in life. You can usually come up with an approximation, like uh, if you want to read your child every night, well, how often do you actually do that? You might tell yourself you do it a lot more than you actually do, or you might actually feel guilty when, in fact, you're doing a pretty good job. So if you monitor something, and also monitoring is kind of has an uncanny power, just by monitoring, we often start to behave better just because we're more, it gets back to mindfulness. We're more mindful about what we're doing because we're more aware of what we're actually doing, and so we tend to do a better job. Why is it that when we're trying to create a good habit or end a bad habit, we find that toward the end of the day, yes. we mess up? We all need to have self-mastery. And like, if there's something in life that you want, it's you want to have a lot of self-mastery. And the longer you go through your day, you just sort of start wearing up that self-mastery. And, um, and so you want to make sure that you do things like get enough sleep, don't let yourself get too hungry. Um, uh, exercise tends to, ten, exercise boosts energy. It doesn't diminish energy the way some people think. Like, like keeping your, your outer uh, uh, environment sort of under control often does help people feel their, keep their self-mastery. Um, and yeah, and if there's something that you know is going to tax you, you do not want to have it happen at the end of the day. So, so self-mastery is kind of a finite resource and we run Well, out it's of it. interesting. There's a controversy about that because some people argue that self-mastery is a finite resource. It's sort of like your muscle and, you know, you use it up and then it becomes tired or it's like a, a gas tank that becomes depleted. Now, some people argue that it's not because it's, it's part of our imagination and that you can, you can get people to... to find new reserves of willpower if you change the way um, you do it. Like, for instance, I'm not sure this was why this study was done, but um, they had children try to stand still, and they couldn't do it, fidgeting, fidgeting, and then they said, stand still like a soldier. And instantly the children could stand perfectly still because their imaginations had been cued. And so sometimes with willpower, it's like if you go into a different part of your brain, you, you see things differently, you might find new reserves. But whether or not, whichever you know, um, model of, of self-mastery is actually the most true. The fact is we've all experienced it in real life. As the day moves on, as you get closer to bedtime, as you become increasingly tired, as you've been increasingly taxed and found more and more things where you had to use your self-mastery, it becomes harder and harder. That is why you were not eating those Oreos at 9.30 a.m. No. on a Sunday. That's you why know? I had a bag of veggie puffs last night at midnight. See, this is, that's the danger zone. And that's where we said to go to bed on time. Because if you go to bed on time, often you sleep right through that. It's like that zombie-like period before, you know, when you're up too late. So that's a key part of making or breaking habits. 
It's enough sleep. Go to bed on time. Go to bed, yes. Because and then you get out of the, zone, the danger zone. Yeah, you, and, and also fights with your spouse or like a roommate or something like that, or yelling at your kids. Like, that is not... So I need to make my wife go to bed earlier. A hundred... Well, so most adults, you have to figure out how much sleep you need. This is, a, this is really helpful. If you figure out... You, most people know what time they have to wake up. Do the math. If you need seven hours of sleep, do the math, and that is your bedtime. And so a lot of people now even set an alarm. Have an alarm go off to remind you to go to bed. Because a lot of times people are like, well, I'll go to bed whenever I'm tired. But then they do things to jack themselves awake, like stop, start binge watching Game of Thrones or whatever. And then you're like, I'm wide awake. You know, or like you check your work email and you're like, you get that boost of adrenaline. So then you're up till one when in fact you should have gone to bed at 1030. You know? Oh, well, look, look, this is perfect. I wasn't planning on doing this, but now that we're in the speed round, what are <laughs> I know more tips? My answers are not speedy. No, no, they're pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> um, more tips, if you are a bad sleeper, yeah. what are the Gretchen Rubin tips for falling asleep? So it's always, it's to wake up at the same time every day, even on the weekends, because there's something called social jet lag, which is people who sleep very late on the weekends, then they, uh, from what they do during the week, it's like they're flying back and forth to the West Coast every week. So you want to wake up on the, at the same time every day, give yourself a bedtime and set an alarm, and you might even need to have a snooze alarm that says like, okay, 15 minutes till your bedtime. And so if it's, you're up an hour past your bedtime, you know. One thing that's really helped me is I now get to I get ready for bed well before I plan to go to bed because what I realized is I was so exhausted by the uh, by the prospect of having to like brush my teeth and take out my contact lenses that I would just stay up, which is clearly irrational. So if I, now that I'm like I get all ready for bed well before, so that when I get the the urge to go to sleep, it's much easier. Um, getting rid of light, in, like blinking your 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 television apparatus might they emit crazy amounts of light now. Um, or a, a glowing clock, you want to cover those. Um, what about lowering the yeah, temperature in the room? Lowering the temperature, absolutely. That's something that so helps. So open a window sleep. or put the yeah, AC Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what, uh, my husband does that religiously. Um, so, um, and I'll exercise. Exercise t- helps people fall asleep faster and sleep more deeply. So if you're not getting any exercise, exercise it will boost your energy during the day and also give you more self-mastery, but it will also help you sleep during at night. What about not using your bed as uh, a place where you're doing work or non-sleep related things? Yes. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a really good one. I don't even read in bed, really. I only just, you know, do bed things in bed. But I do sometimes watch TV in bed. But not often, not often. Yeah. But but, but, and but, but like time. not like sitting there with your laptop, like answering work emails. No, you want your bed to feel like a refuge, and even your room. Like one thing is, if your room is really messy, it can make just make you feel like keyed up. I'm a big believer that outer order uh, contributes to inner calm, and so like I have a friend who had like piles and piles of photographs sitting on her ledge. And I walked in there, and I'm like, man, that's just stressing me out seeing those. She's like, oh, yeah, they've been there for like three years because I can't deal with it. I'm like, you have to deal with it and get that out of your bedroom. And she said, I sleep so much better because I walk in, and it's like so calm. You know? And I make my bed every day. I think that is something like coming home to a made bed. Some people find an unmade bed more inviting. So, it's, again, it's like, it just depends on the kind of person that you are. But for a lot of people, like seeing just like that, it, it just feels more inviting. to like It feels cool and neat. That can be something, too. You let us right into the last thing I want to ask you about in the in the pro tip round here, which is we're coming up on spring decluttering. Yes. How do we do it? I I love decluttering. I know. Yes. You're like, you're yeah, yeah, I feel like you guys. I like self medicate by decluttering um, whenever were, I'm stressed you were, out. You were decluttering before Marie Kondo. I know. Yes. 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 So one one there's a bunch of little habits that I formed that really help. One is um, the one minute rule. Anything that you can do in less than a minute, do without delay. So if you can hang up a coat, if you can put a dish in the dishwasher, if you can close a cabinet, if you can print out a uh, print out an email and delete it, if you can do it in less than a minute, do it without delay. That gets rid of the sort of scum on the on the surface of life. 
A weird thing that I wouldn't have thought worked, but somebody told me, and it really does work, is every time you go leave a room, take one thing with you. You don't have to actually put it away, but just get it closer to where it's supposed to be. So if you have a dirty, like I have a dirty coffee mug in my office, I'm not going to take it all the way to the dishwasher, but I can put it on the stand in the entryway, and now it's closer to the kitchen. And that also just helps things find their way. Um, I had to, I realized that I, I never hung up my coat, or I never hang up clothes because I don't like putting things on hangers, so I put hooks in my closet, and now I will put my coat on a hook because I am too lazy to put it on a hanger. Yes, that's, that's the level. Um, uh, put trash cans everywhere so it's easy to throw things away. Um, you know, uh, one of Marie Kondo's things that I think really works is uh, if you're trying to clear something out, take everything out, take everything out of a drawer, take everything out of a closet, and then put it back in. And I found that even things where I thought I had gone through clothes or c coats, um, when I did it that way, I really did get, I got rid of a whole other layer of stuff. Why is decluttering so important? See, this, I think that this is something that people should really study. Um, I don't think there's enough research into this area because I really feel powerfully myself, and so many people have told me they feel the same way, that there's something about getting control over the stuff of your life that makes you feel more in control of your life generally. And if it's an illusion, it's a helpful illusion. And it just is something... There's a, there's a minority of people who love clutter, who don't even see it, who thrive in it. Okay, fine, we all know who they are, they know who they are, go off and do that. But most people just feel better when they're in an orderly environment. And it, more than it... More than it seems like it should, because we can all agree that this kind of stuff is, is trivial in the context of a happy life, like how messy your kitchen is. And yet, over and over, people say to me how they feel more energetic, they feel more optimistic, they feel more creative. A friend of mine said, I finally cleaned out my fridge and now I know I can switch careers. And I knew how that felt, because it's like this feeling of like getting, just having space to think and, uh, and, and just having things in their proper places, not having to look for things, getting rid of things that don't work. Stuff kind of weighs on our conscience. You know, you're like, oh, here's this thing that I never wear, or oh, I spent all this money on these shoes, but I don't wear them, or this is this office supply that kind of broke. Like, I had this shredder, a giant shredder. It broke the first time I used it. I was like, well, I can't get rid of it, right, because I just bought it. I'm not going to get it fixed. Where do you get a shredder fixed? So I just sat there for two years, and finally I was like, okay, get the giant shredder out of my house. It doesn't work. And it felt better. It felt, I, what was I doing? I mean, like, <laughs> give it up the minute it does, you know, it broke. It was, you know, yeah, I felt better. Off my, off my, uh, off my shelves and off my conscience. Thank you very much. Thank really you. Really appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Really appreciate that, or listening, whatever you're doing. And uh, <laughs> this is Dan Harris signing off. What do you say at the end of the podcast? I say onward and upward at the end of my podcast. Onward and upward. There we go. My thanks again to Gretchen. Sorry to you, uh, listener, dear listener, for the, the, the suboptimal audio quality. But, but I, I think you probably, if you've listened this far, got a lot out of it. Um, much more from us, including more guests and more guided meditations coming up. Uh, big thanks to my producers, and uh, we'll see you next time. If you like 10% Happier, and I hope you do, uh, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. If you travel for work, you know to pack two suits, business and swim. You know with your Delta Sky Miles Business Amex card, buying that plane ticket for a business trip can get you closer to medallion status. 
You know that a meeting in Montana means visiting almost every national park. Yellowstone? Check. Because you're the chief excursion officer. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know business. Welcome to Pura, the most pristine, safe, climate-stable city on Earth. A haven amidst the wreckage. Here, you're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the outer lands. There's no crime in Pura. No murder, no suicide. And best of all, there's no cost to join us. In Pura, we promise to keep you safe. They killed her! You took everything! In a world that doesn't feel so safe anymore, we're waiting for you. Here, in Pura. The Last City is a new scripted audio drama from Wondery. Enjoy The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now, ad-free, on Wondery Plus. Get started with your free trial at wondery.com slash plus.